March Madness is here in Indiana. Today we're talking about the impact here in Indy with Mayor Joe Hogsett as state and local health officials try to ramp up vaccinations across the state of Indiana. Plus, we'll talk with Fisher's Mayor Scott Fadness and we'll talk about Indiana's newest Secretary of State. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Indiana continuing to work on its vaccine rollout plan, expanding this past week to Hoosiers 45 and older and others based on various medical factors. This is other states, including Ohio, set up dates to open up the vaccine to everyone. Indiana officials say we're still waiting on more supply, now lagging other states in terms of the amount we're receiving from the federal government. We could learn more from the governor about his plans for the next few weeks. Governor Holcomb delivering a statewide address this coming week, Tuesday evening at 5.30. We'll see if there's new information then about the state's plans moving forward. This, as the Indianapolis area welcomes thousands of visitors this weekend and for the next couple of weeks, March Madness has come to Indiana, the entire tournament leading up to the Final Four here in the state of Indiana. And that is where we start this morning with all of the excitement that we've seen this weekend across the city. Six different venues in Indianapolis, West Lafayette and Bloomington. In the midst of a pandemic, it's taken a lot of work to pull it all off as we discussed one-on-one -on -one with Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett and other local officials here in Indy. What does the NCAA tournament mean to the city? after everything we've been through? Well, uh, economically, it will be a boon. I mean, for our restaurants, for our hotels, for the entire downtown, for those businesses in our hospitality industry that have had an incredibly difficult year. But I think probably the most important aspect of the NCAA Division I March Madness being in Indianapolis, all 68 games, is our emotional and spiritual well-being. I mean, Indianapolis is back. People are confident again. Downtown is clean and bright and brilliant. So we had the ability and the capacity to pull this off. But in addition to that, we've hosted a Super Bowl. So we know logistically how to do big events and how to make it happen. From a tourism perspective, from a branding perspective, this abnormal amount of media coverage the city will enjoy in the next 30 days is very sought after. There's not another city in the nation that does not want to be Indianapolis, Indiana right now. 2,000 members of the media, hundreds of hours of live TV coverage with commercials coming in and out of uh, beautiful skyline shots, coming in and out of commercials. This is how you boost a brand in a very short period of time, especially coming out of a pandemic. And it's a very unique opportunity. The, the sweet sounding word Indianapolis will be spoken hundreds of thousands of times and written even more so. Social media will light up with art and architecture and vibrancy of Indianapolis and that will ultimately lead Indianapolis to be a city that recovers more quickly than any other city from this pandemic. This is a magnanimous effort with, with hundreds and hundreds of people involved to, to kind of open our doors and welcome the community to Indianapolis, not just for a weekend event, but for three solid weeks. How confident are you in the health and safety plans that's been put together for the tournament? Yeah, I think that uh, we, we're leaving no stone unturned uh, and we will monitor very closely over the next three weeks the health and safety, not just of the teams and the coaches and the staff, but of the fans who will be in attendance. Uh, obviously, there will be a lot of people downtown and we're working with the Restaurant and Lodging Association to make sure that masks are being worn 
social distancing is being practiced. Uh, and I'm confident that as long as people understand to stay safe and reasonable uh, about their enjoyment of the tournament, we'll have a safe and healthy tournament to, to uh, celebrate. We need to be very, very mindful uh, of all of the precautions that people have been taking over the course of the last year. One hopeful sign is the distribution of the vaccines. And I do think that that protects the people who have been vaccinated. So uh, all of those things working together, I think we're gonna have a safe and healthy three-week tournament. Mayor Joe Hogg said there this week, we also caught up with the mayor of Fishers where they've established their own health department. Here's what Mayor Scott Fadness had to say about the approach they've been taking and the vaccination process that's been ramping up here in recent weeks. Well, certainly picking up speed, which I'm encouraged by. You know, we just had a breakdown today where it looked like um, almost 80% of our people, 80 years and older in Fishers have received the vaccination. And as we go down, we're starting to see those numbers climb into the, the high 60s, mid 70 percentile of people getting this vaccine. So I, I'm encouraged. Um, we obviously have a long ways to go, but the, the adoption rate, at least in my community and what I'm hearing from others is strong. We need to keep pushing that uh, so that we can get this economy and our communities back open. But um, so far, I'm, I'm encouraged. Uh, CBS News had an article this week, the headline, GOP mayors welcome long-awaited COVID relief at odds with their National Republican Party. What's your view on that? What will this rescue plan mean for people in Fishers and for businesses there in your city? Well, it means different things to a lot of different communities. And so for communities that have been uh, run well, conservative financially, in a sound place coming out of COVID, I think what this relief bill does or creates an opportunity to invest in their communities in ways that they probably haven't had going into it. Um, for others, it's, it's probably viewed as uh, plugging the holes of a uh, financial stress that certain communities have. Um, bottom line, I think there's two things we got to watch out for. One, in the long term, you know, what are these property tax revenue, income tax revenue is going to look like a year out from now? We really don't understand the true impact yet of this uh, financial crisis that we're feeling because of COVID. The uh, second thing that we do need to keep an eye on is with all this new money coming into the market, and people starting to do projects, you've already started to hear commodities and construction prices going up. And so what does it mean if now a road costs 30 or 40% more to pay per mile than it did before? So we got to keep an eye on that. Um, so there, you know, the long-term ramifications of both COVID and then this enormous amount of money coming out of the streets has yet to be really understood or felt, I think. Okay. Uh, this week, you were talking about the issue of crime and fighting crime in our area with a more regional approach, perhaps, testifying on a bill that's moving through the state house. We've certainly seen crime on the rise in recent years in major metropolitan areas. W what would this proposal do to try and turn some of those numbers around? Well, I mean, the numbers, as everyone sees every night when they go to bed and every morning when they wake up, there's another reminder of people losing their lives to this unbelievable amount of violence that we're seeing. This bill is really for the first time that I've seen my 15 years of working in central Indiana, where we have every mayor, every chief elected official, every law enforcement agency coming together to say enough's enough. There are innovative approaches to trying to deal with this gun crime that we're seeing. Let's fall in behind IMPD's Crime Gun Intelligence Center, and let's go try to do something meaningful that erases the political boundaries and allows us to go after those people that are, frankly, terrorizing these neighborhoods. And, I, and I'm this is something I've been working on for two years. I'm very passionate about it. I, I think we have a real opportunity to make a difference. And I'm glad Representative Sturwald and these others 
uh, saw the saw the potential and the ideas that we we're pushing forward. And I'm really optimistic that we're going to get the funding and the legislation put in place to do this. My interview there with Mayor Scott Fadness. You can read more about that specific proposal on our website and see what Mayor Hogsett is saying about recent crime in India as well. Meantime, state lawmakers say they're hoping to wrap things up for this year's legislative session a week early by April 21st. One of the major pieces of legislation this year, the bill that would limit some of the governor's emergency powers in the midst of this pandemic. Kayla Sullivan has the latest on some changes being made to that bill. First, this bill no longer bans government from regulating churches during an emergency. That's going into another bill. Any uh, executive order coming from the governor uh, would have to treat churches just like any other essential business. Now, this new amended version focuses on the creation of a legislative council. It would review emergency governor orders and call the state house into session if necessary. Some law experts question whether that is constitutional since that power is specifically granted to the governor. It's a friendly disagreement and uh, uh, you know, I understand that we may need to make the we may need to have the courts decide that we feel fairly comfortable in that in that step. Legislative leadership doesn't want to end the current public health emergency order. Senate President Pro Tem Roderick Bray cites consequences like the loss of additional SNAP benefits as the reason. Democrats support the idea of the bill, but have some lingering concerns. I appreciate what's going on in this bill. Um, I, I have some concerns that we still uh, may have to have a, a real constitutional determination. Meanwhile, the governor is expected to announce new COVID-19 related policies on Tuesday. And lawmakers want more certainty around upcoming events like weddings, festivals and graduations. Most specifically around um, capacity and mass. This bill would require them to have a say about those things moving forward. It passed committee along party lines and heads to the Senate floor next. Kayla, thanks. We'll talk about that with our panel up next, plus Indiana's newest Secretary of State and the debate over election reforms. And President Biden marking 100 million vaccinations since taking office, as the former president also weighs in on the vaccine. What impact will it have? Stick around. We'll be right back. We have gone from one million shots a day that I promised in December, before we were even sworn in, to an average of two and one-half million shots a day outpacing the rest of the world significantly. President Biden marking 100 million vaccinations since taking office. The United States reaching that mark on Friday. And again, we're expecting to hear more from Governor Holcomb this week on the state's fight against COVID-19 one year in. We'll see if he makes any big announcements about opening up vaccine eligibility. Of course, the state also hosting March Madness this month as well in the midst of this pandemic. A lot of news to discuss with our panel. Laura Beck, Mike Murphy, Abdul Hakim Shabazz and Bill Moreau with us today. Let's start with Democratic strategist Laura Beck. What do you think we will hear from the governor Tuesday when it comes to the vaccine rollout or other issues like the state's mask mandate? Well, um, I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't really uh, give probably an accurate forecast. But I think we're going to hear from the governor a thoughtful, reasoned approach to how we essentially open the state back up. Um, I really think it's important that we do recognize, and I, I think in a bipartisan way here, um, that the governor has done a really good job at getting this vaccine out. And the Indiana State Department of Health with Dr. Box and Dr. Weaver, they've done a really terrific job of making sure we're getting shots in the arms. Um, I'm sure there's more work to be done uh, to make sure it's as equitable as possible and we're reaching underserved communities. But I think we're gonna get a bit more of a roadmap, a bit more clarity as much as you can with COVID. 
Um, and I think we're all going to be really, really looking forward to hearing what he has to say. We've been lagging other states in terms of uh, getting more vaccine from the federal government, but the vaccine we've been getting, we've been doing better than other states at getting it into people's arms. Let's turn to former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy. Mike, things like the mask mandate seem to potentially be part of the equation when it comes to this bill seeking to limit the governor's emergency powers. How do you see this battle playing out in the legislature and possibly even in the courts? Well, first of all, in all my years of being involved in politics in Indiana, which is well over 30 years, I have never seen such a public disagreement between a governor and the leaders of his own party in the legislature. The fact is, this is unconstitutional. Everybody knows it. And I suspect what will happen in the end is um, it'll go to court. Um, only people who make any money, the winners, will be the trial lawyers. It'll be settled and the unconstitutional parts will be pulled out. So again, the taxpayers will pay a lot of lawyers to sit around and talk about it, and then there'll be a settlement hopefully before it has to be uh, adjudicated by a judge. Well, when you know we have a couple of lawyers with us here today, let's uh, bring in Abdul Hakeem Shabazz right now from IndiePolitics.org. They're, they're both wealthy guys. Uh, there you go, right? <laughs> Abdul, polls have shown there is still some reluctance among Republicans, particularly young Republicans, when it comes to getting the vaccine. This week, Senator Braun said he hasn't received the vaccine yet. Former President Trump uh, did get the vaccine more or less in secret back in January, but saying this week that he thinks people should get vaccinated. What impact uh, might the former president's words have there? Um, I think it'll have some impact, but also you got to remember, too, that uh, some people are just just stubborn. It's just that simple. Uh, they don't want to get either they they don't trust the government or be uh, like I said, they, they don't trust the government also. Uh, in a sense that there is this, you know, hey, I'm fine, I'm young, if I, if I get COVID-19, I'll be fine, I'll just have a couple minor symptoms. So, so there's a lot of that uh, going on taking place. But I will argue to my dying day, uh, if you can get the vaccine, you should get the vaccine. I mean, I got the vaccine at the Motor Speedway a, a couple weeks ago, the J&J &J shot, one and done, uh, because as you folks know, my father passed away due to COVID-19 complications. Yeah. And you don't want to risk, you know, having a loved one get sick or something worse happen to yourself because you were too damn stubborn to go get the vaccination. Absolutely. Well said, Abdul. There was also a report in Axios this week that Indiana Senator Todd Young has been seeking the former president's endorsement, but still waiting at this point. How much influence will the former president continue to have on the GOP? Um, I think the president will, will lose a little bit of uh, little, lose, lose a little bit of influence every day as time goes by and, and maybe become a little bit more distant. But at the same time, uh, I think Todd Young wants a Donald Trump endorsement, not so much that he needs it, but it helps him forward off any sort of primary challengers. And so if he gets a Donald Trump endorsement, yeah. then who's going to run against him? Right. All right. Meantime, the president and lawmakers in Congress also dealing with a lot of questions this week about the situation at the border and also the growing concerns about violence and harassment against Asian Americans. You'll hear more about that coming up uh, on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. We want to change topics here, though. The governor naming Holly Sullivan this past week as our new secretary of state appointed by Governor Eric Holcomb, the former state representative. We want to bring in Bill Moreau right now. Bill, your organization, the Indiana Citizen, has been advocating for Indiana voters. What's your reaction? Well, congratulations uh, go to uh, Secretary Sullivan. And I was really uh, impressed uh, by her uh, opening uh, statement at the announcement. In fact, I, I, I want to read it so I do it justice. Today, taking office, the top priority is to safeguard Indiana's record of safe, fair, and secure elections and letting all Hoosiers know their vote counts. That um, is a strong statement. It's an accurate statement. Uh, it's a, a clear communication. 
that uh, Indiana has figured out how to run uh, uh, elections uh, effectively. And then it begs the question of why the General Assembly uh, still wants to, you know, tinker uh, with uh, the election code uh, in a way that might uh, throw out ballots. I, I'm uh, talking particularly about Senate Bill 353. I hope she weighs in uh, against that bill because it could uh, mess up uh, people's uh, absentee uh, ballot applications. I hope she takes a strong uh, stand uh, on redistricting. I hope that she makes a statement in favor of uh, drawing the maps in a fair, open, and transparent way, because that'll have the effect of uh, improving the civic health of okay. our state by increasing the number of, of Hoosiers who vote. And Laura, all this coming at a time where, where a lot of states are dealing with some of these big questions about uh, the voting process. Secretary Sullivan didn't really want to get into all of the controversies or conspiracy theories out there about the 2020 election when she was asked about that this week. Well, I think that's a smart move because it's been proven that there was there was not election fraud in 2020. I mean, I think that that has been proven across the board, and I I think that was wise of her not to do that and to really focus more on on Indiana. Um, we are seeing uh, we are seeing this nationwide movement, um, and I think some of that is driven by um, trying to prop up the false narrative that there was some type of fraud, uh, which there wasn't. Um, so we're going to see a little bit more of that. We're also going to see, I think. Um, much more suppression techniques and tactics that are out there. Um, frankly, when you expand the right to vote, it makes for a healthier and a stronger dem democracy. Um, and I'm incredibly disappointed to see that once again, uh, people are trying to push down the opportunity to let more Americans vote. Mike, how do you see that debate playing out uh, with a new Secretary of State now in place here in the Hoosier State? Well, first of all, I think I think Holly is a is an outstanding uh, choice on the part of the governor. She's brilliant, actually. She's a Purdue grad, Bill, and an engineer, which you may I have think come. she's a University of Missouri grad. I thought she, she was is an grad. engineer, but she didn't go to Purdue. Just <laughs> for the well, she's got we'll more check to learn the record. Now. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that ultimately, I've always been a believer in the power of ideas, Dan, and I don't see any reason why we should restrict voting. Let's spend all that effort, energy in the battleground of ideas and let the best ideas win. I mean, I've never been shy to debate anybody about anything. And uh, my friends on the other side of the aisle should not be either. Let's have fun. Let's present different ideas to the uh, Hoosier voting population and let them decide. Let all of them decide. Bill, that debate Mike, uh, playing that out in a lot of states across the country. Small D yeah. Democrat. Look out. Uh, you haven't seen my record, Bill. I'm more conservative than anybody in the legislature. Yeah, but you believe in democracy. There you um, go. And that was a strong statement in support of democracy. And not everybody in power shares that view. Well, we've had a great discussion here. We even, uh, fitting on the March Madness theme, talking about Purdue and Mizzou and, and all of these great schools that are coming here to Indiana to play. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, we're going to talk about Indiana's big tournament, getting a mention on the floor of the U.S. Senate this week. We'll show you that moment up next. Well, it's an exciting weekend and an exciting month in Indianapolis with the NCAA tournament underway across the region. The action continues today on CBS4 with a triple header of second round games starting at noon, leading up to 60 minutes tonight at 7 o'clock. All the excitement this week. Also got a mention on the floor of the U.S. Senate in this speech from Senator Todd Young. It's appropriate that this year's NCAA tournament will be played in its entirety in our state. 
Now, this, of course, is in part because planning and hosting 68 teams in the middle of a global pandemic presents unprecedented challenges, challenges that Hoosiers in and around Indianapolis are, are going to be able to navigate. And uh, they will be able to work with our world-class college campuses in order to host teams from around the country. It's a great source of pride for us. But it's also fitting because this sport is so important to our state. Certainly is, no doubt about that. All right, we're back with our panel to wrap things up after this. Okay, time to wrap things up with this week's winners and losers. Laura, I'll start with you. Well, my winner is um, pretty much all of the people in the entire community making the NCAA tournament happen here. Um, really excited about that, and it's great for the community. My loser, unfortunately, is the NCAA. Uh, there are certainly separate and unequal uh, tournament experiences for the men and women this year, and I really think the NCAA needs to get that right. We saw a lot of talk about that on social media, no doubt. Mike? Well, first of all, the winner has to be the Sheriff's Association, the FOP, and Mike Beaverstein for pushing police reform successfully through the legislature. And no loser this week, but I do have to apologize to Holly Sullivan. I thought all engineers came from Purdue or Rose Holman. It is Mizzou. There you go. Bill? <laughs> well, for those of us who care about improving uh, Indiana civic health, the clear winners are Lieutenant Governor Crouch, Representative Tony Cook, and the Indiana Bar Foundation, led by Chuck Dunlap. They are pushing through a uh, real transformation of civics education in Indiana. Keep your eye on House Bill 1384. Uh, it'll impose a civics uh, education requirement for middle school, as well as okay. uh, create a board to create uh, civics education standards. Okay. Big winners. Abdul, quickly, you get the last word. My um, loser are the people who still will not get vaccinated, still will not wear a mask a year into a global pandemic. And my winner is, of course, my alma mater, Illinois. What there more you can anybody say? A, a big winner on Friday. All right. Thank you all for being here with us this week. Much more coming up on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.